Content warnings for this episode include mental health and institutionalization. horror nerds at church a podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about what it can teach us about god the bible and each other my name is pace and i am the unfortunate reality that we are having to re-record this episode on perhaps the worst movie in the franchise oh dear uh you're going to have to explain um this re-recording thing that we're doing although i don't i don't mind and hello uh I'm Joe, and I am that unfortunate person who can't hold it in. So I have to use the porta potty, which will lead to my inevitable demise. <laughs> Getting stabbed through a porta potty. What a way to I, go. This I, movie, I, like, <laughs> while singing a different song than his girlfriend, too. They, that it clearly looked like those two parts were filmed separately. But you know what, Paige? That wasn't my overriding concern about that scene. My overriding concern was, is dying while being a hot box by the odor of your own poo, like, just the worst way to go, or is it not? Um, yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure I can think of much worse ways, to be honest. That's pretty out there. But this movie does it, along with several other interesting kills. Some uh, This whole movie is interesting with a capital I. Um, but anyway, how how's it going? How are, you, how are you doing? And why do we have to re-record this episode? <laughs> okay, so um, as we talked about, I mean, as I talked about in our last episode that our listeners will have listened to, which is episode six on Attack from the 80s. I explained that Joe wasn't able to join the episode and Joe's going to Mm. tell why a little bit later. But we were able to... But also my um, sister's wedding was the following weekend after I recorded that episode. And Mm. then I was with my parents in North Carolina the week following, which is when Joe and I were able to get together to record Friday the 13th Part 5. And being in the mountains with really bad internet mm. and being just utterly exhausted from um, basically all the running around that it took to, you know how sometimes you have to be so stressed before you even take a vacation just to get yes. all the ends tied up before you go. So like a whole number of reasons, a whole host of reasons were to just me getting so stressed and burn out. Then when I got up to the mountain, to help my parents move into their new home there i basically was just like so tired and exhausted that and also there was sound issues because i was recording on spotty internet in the mountains so that like that episode was just a mess like i was out of it you were on your ipad right yeah i had to record on my ipad which was also (laughs) not ideal and it kept slipping on my hands because i was like so like just out of it and tired and then joe told me that apparently i even fell off the couch during part of it i don't remember (laughs) this but (laughs) you were sliding on and off the couch because uh on our on our podcast recording platform we have video capability and so i'm i'm (laughs) i'm looking at pace and they're talking from behind the ipad and their head is bobbing up and down and i'm like where are they going (laughs) yeah so it was it was interesting like it's just you know how it is when you're in the car for eight hours after a very stressful week and then you help move heavy furniture and boxes and stuff and then it's time to record and it's late at night and i was like so over it i mean we queers we we get we get exhausted with family. It's just yeah. going to be a given. So I, I completely understand. And Pace, please don't, 
shoulder all the burden on having to re-record this episode on yourself uh, because this movie was so atrocious <laughs> that I wouldn't be surprised if we had to record this three times. <laughs> yeah, that was another issue too was it was just not a great movie. <laughs> I mean, there's, there it has its own charm. There are things I like about it. I know this movie kind of has its own kind of fan base and stuff, but like it just is so different from the rest of the series see, and see that that is that is theology right there that is christian grace right now when pace just said that this movie has its charms i on the other hand i'm going to be a terrible christian and just be like i i know i i don't see it um also i just want to point out that the letterboxd app does not allow you to give zero stars <laughs> And this is the movie that you found that out on. <laughs> this was indeed the movie. So I threw half a star at it. I love it. Well, I guess we can get into this. Um, unless you want to talk about where you've been now or we can do that at the end. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, did you have any other announcements that you wanted to make besides the horrificness of this movie? <laughs> Not at this point. Unless you can think of any announcements. Um, no, I mean, we are, we're pretty busy with the podcast, right? Uh, mm -hmm. There's a Patreon coming up soon. Uh, let's see. What, what else? Oh, I, I cannot believe how many guests we booked this season. I, I know, it's right? So, it's so interesting and kind of exciting to have like all of these different voices but i also just want to point out and acknowledge that it does add a layer of behind the scenes work and you and matt are rock stars oh, for you. you know do setting up all the technical nuances that go with having extra people on the show um and then drafting up you know all the the necessary paperwork yes there is paperwork y'all we are a real yep. podcast <laughs> yes this is true but also i mean don't sell yourself short either i mean you were responsible for getting our very first guest on the show richard Lindsay, who is such a delight and then um there we have today i'm working on emails to send out to two more guests that you also helped book and you helped Yay. us do our crossover episode with 1991 movie <laughs> um, rewind podcast which was really fun and that should be coming out in a few weeks on people well, under the stairs so you know nerd attract nerd so yep. <laughs> um well i guess i could talk a little bit about where i have been the last couple of weeks um was there anything in particular you wanted me to ask uh, you wanted to ask me about or should i just get into it i think you can get into it and then at the end we can uh, for a deep dive, talk a little bit about comparisons like we did in our first <laughs> attempt at recording this. Oh, that was that was fun. Uh, I, I had fun, even though I had a low opinion of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is why it's important to do these projects with friends that you love, <laughs> because if you're if you're watching this move, a terrible movie like this with, you know, someone you're just an acquaintance with, I, it's just, it's a waste of energy, you know? <laughs> so, um, in the end, I was honored to watch a terrible movie with Pace. Um, so the last couple of weeks, uh, well, I have been in rehab, um, it, uh, for my mental health and it's something that I am, uh, happy to uh, be public about um, because um, I am all about destigmatizing the issue of mental health. Really, I want, I want it to be as normalized as people talk about going to the gym. Um, I, I want it to get the kind of everyday attention that all other aspects of, you know, self-care gets. I, I'm, I'm tired of mental health being a taboo. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a millennial like Pace. I'm an older millennial. Um, and our, our generation coming up just didn't have, you know, the most completely um, uh, uplifting or rather the word I want to use is edifying 
we didn't have the most completely edifying view of mental health. And so the generation after us, you know, the younger folks are filling in all those blanks, you know, the folks who are in their 20s. And I see them speaking so, you know, openly and positively about mental health. And, you know, I want to help those youngins, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, normalize yeah, that yeah. and just like, you know, bring everything to full circle and make mental health just a regular part of the conversation. And um, so I've been here for a couple of weeks um, and it's uh, it's it's being covered uh, for me. Thank you to state insurance. Uh, I That's the thing, Pace. I really, really wish that this was more of an accessible resource to more people. Right, yeah. This facility that I'm in, which is great. It's, 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 uh, technically a group home. <laughs> um, and, uh, I have been allowed by the folks who run it to refer to it as shady pines. <laughs> Go so, ahead and take your drink for the listeners <laughs> at home. Yes. Yes, please do. Um, I unfortunately had to explain Shady Pines because they they were not for whatever reason familiar with this reference. Like, have they been living under a rock? Who knows? Right. Well, I'll explain it for our listeners who might be living under a rock too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Shady Pines is the name of a retirement home that's often referenced in the Golden Girls. Um, the character of Sophia Petrillo, who's the shortest golden girl, the one with the big <laughs> puff of white hair. Um, she's also the oldest among the four gals. And um, she is a refugee from Shady Pines. Um, apparently, Shady Pines burned down at some point, and she was forced to live with the three other girls, one of whom is her daughter. So, um, yeah. And, and doesn't every- it imply that she... well? The episode kind of leaves it up in the air, but there was at least an implication that she was responsible for burning down Shady Pines. There was a two-part episode later on in the series that that literally went into that, like it probed into yeah. that, which I, I think is funny because, um, you know, the, the TV shows of that era, the Golden Girls included, they just weren't, you know, continuity and serialization weren't things yet back then right yeah. um but it's really impressive that i think that was in the fifth maybe the sixth season maybe it was the fifth season when they did that two-part episode to look into the fire at shady pines um i i, I thought that was really clever um but anyway uh you know i'm happy to talk more about this during our, our deep dive but um the long story short without you know without uh belaboring the the issue is that this has been very helpful for me. Um, uh, I feel, I feel, well, yes, I feel healed. Um, it feels like I'm, I'm putting the cart before the horse and making such a statement. Um, but I'm pretty confident I'm healed. That being said, the, the day-to-day work, like the therapy, this is the hardest shit I have ever been through, girl. Like, mm-hmm. I'm confronting myself, you know, and I feel like we really need to do more of that. We That really needs to be uh, a typical part of self-care because like if we are not having those confrontations with ourselves um, and that kind of reflection on who we are, I mean, that just affects your relationships with other people. So uh, I, I wish this was more common. I wish this wasn't an extraordinary thing um, that I am doing this kind of intensive therapy in this, in this wonderful group home. Um, But, you know, here I am. And uh, I think I'm becoming better for it. I'm so grateful that this resource is available and that the people who work there are wonderful. And I am so grateful um, to my community, you know, you, Matt, um, and all, just my whole community of friends and family. Um, I feel very, very privileged, which is another reason why I want to talk more about mental health and make it, you know, spread the awareness because um, the more people speak up about this, um, the more likely we are to get resources that are not just for the select few. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, yeah. So that's where I've been. I've been in a nice little group home um, that I lovingly nicknamed Shady Pines. <laughs> Thank you so much for your openness and talking about this. And like, yeah. and uh, you were the one who suggested that we do an episode where we take a deep dive into that. Um, and it seemed to connect to this one. <laughs> because yeah. this this one takes place in a um some sort of group home for people with it doesn't really specify but like troubled teens i guess um some maybe with yes. mental illness but it's not fully explained <laughs> well i i was sort of confused in the beginning but let me say that observation for um when we uh, when we really get into the movie anything else anything else you wanted to share pace i don't think so um so this is if you haven't picked up on it yet uh friday the 13th part five a new beginning new quote unquote new right uh with uh danny steinman directing who had done unseen and savage streets and basically like some of the behind the scenes trivia is this production of this film was so troubled um that he basically gave up directing after this movie uh so well, <laughs> uh, this was his last film. Oh well, <laughs> yep. Unher- unheralded and unsung. <laughs> yep, nineteen eighty-five came out nineteen eighty-five. So this is my my film, the one that came out in my birth year. Mm. So, mm-hmm. uh, of all the ones in the franchise, because yours, what nineteen eighty-two? So you were yeah. fr- Friday the Thirteenth Part Three, three D. Oh, was I'd it rather 3D have. One? I'd rather I'd rather be 3D than this mess. I I didn't make that connection, and I'm so honored that I'm 3D because it had the best music. <laughs> that was the one with the dis- the funky disco like aesthetic, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I love that. It was it was so odd and out of place, and well, I mean, which is not that different from the rest of this franchise. <laughs> yeah, for real, and um. Well, speaking of this movie, like, what are your first memories of this film? Like, yeah, well, my first time watching it beginning to end was with you, Pace. Um, I really, I honestly believe that if I had watched this movie as a child, it would have been child abuse. <laughs> it's just so, it was just so graphic. And I don't say that lightly. I mean, you know, Pace, that I'm just like the most sexually forward person there is and that's because i came back from being very repressed and very closeted and so for me to like put down this movie as so graphic there's reasons i have reasons for that because the number one reason being the the sexual graphicness of it was just unnecessary it doesn't add anything to the story it doesn't add any additional meaning it's i mean you know what I I could I could go into porn tube if I wanted this kind of movie, but I mean, see, this is where I'm going to disagree with my podcast co-host mm. because, like, I I don't mind it. I feel like it definitely has kind of this pornographic sheen, and I think um, I, that Danny Steinman had actually directed a few pornographic films, he so did. I mean, it kind of has that kind of sheen to it. And but I think it's fun. Like, if you're making this pulpy low budget movie like horror movie in the pre-internet age like where else are horny teens gonna get this content i think i think it's all in good fun i mean granted of course you know the sexualization of women and especially being victimized and killed for having their there's like it's problematic i'm not going to deny that it's very problematic but for what it is though at the same time i think it's kind of fun well, you know, and I, and, I, and I see your point, um, you know, especially um, in the context of the times, you know, there, there's no internet and you don't, you don't want to be caught going to the adult store. You certainly don't want your parents asking what the mysterious magazine wrapped in brown grocery packaging is. <laughs> You're so... speaking these like you have experience with all of these. In your <laughs> well, it's very convincing, right, Pace? But, you know, we are, we're a transitional generation, right? So we saw some of this um, mm-hmm. as it was going away. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. You know, I mean, 
bunch of horny teens need something to do, something to watch uh, with their time. But you know what? Uh, just for me personally, this uh, wasn't my jam. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, for me, this I've seen this movie probably a dozen times at this point, as I've seen all the wow. Friday the 13th movies. Like, I... I, I I almost watch them like annually at this point. Um, Girl, I I gotta ask you how. Okay, you watch this a lot. Like how how do you put up with all the boobs? <laughs> like I'm like I'm not I'm not interested in those things. <laughs> they're just there all the time. There there is a lot of there is a lot of bo- boobs. Um, <laughs> and sadly, not much. Uh, shirtless guys in here not as much as not boobs, much sadly, yeah well you know what you know what thank god for the internet because they're really good at making up for gaps in content have you seen that one meme going around with um screen caps of all of the shirtless guys from 80s horror movies yep yep oh yes god bless the internet so but as to like when the first time I seen this, I don't, I honestly can't remember, but mm. it's like I've said before for some of these other ones, like Friday the 13th is on TV enough and it's kind of such a part of the cultural consciousness that I've seen all of them at some point or another in my childhood growing up. I know the very first one Friday movie I ever saw was, um, Jason goes to hell the final Fridays. So when we get to that, I can give you my memory of the first time I saw that one. But as for the rest, like they all kind of blend together at this point. Are you, are you talking about the movies or the boobs? <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> okay. Um, so Harry Manfredini did not know how to write for this movie since write his score for this movie since there's no Jason. So you can kind of hear that in a little bit of the disjointedness of the score. I, I mean, yeah. it's still a great score and he yeah. comes back for part six, which we get had um, a bell as our guest on. And so definitely tune into that episode because it's real fun, but we talk about the music there and it's great for part six, but for this one, it just feels a little disjointed. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I get it. I, I get that Henry Manfredini, um, did I say that right? Manfredini? Yes. Man, I get I get that he was lost in, you know, what to compose without the main character. Like, he needed that anchor. Otherwise, you know, he was, how do they, how do you say, rudderless. You know, I get the, I get the artistic conceit. Yeah, yeah. And um, this was supposedly, su- original draft had Corey Feldman coming back to basically really? return as the character of Tommy and yet um he was filming the Goonies so their schedule conflict so they could only get him in um at the very end as the film was entering post-production where he filmed that kind of flashback scene that the film opens up I with. see so what I'm hearing is that Corey Feldman had gone on to bigger and bigger bigger and better things yep yep <laughs> Um, this is also the the most troubled production of any of the f- Fridays. I think it had a lot of nudity and violence that were cut out. Um, the most in any Friday film, there is kind of producers and studio wanting things to go one way, and it, it just and kind of the director being caught in the middle. So you can see why this after this one, he's like, I'm done. Well, I I saw an interview that the the director did, and he mentioned that a lot of the scenes that were cut from the movie contained even more sex if this was possible. Yep, yep. Um, and then just a, one other little piece of trivia is that this is the only mask, a uh, hockey mask that Jason wears that has blue triangles instead of red, yeah. and that's one of the kind of early on clues that it's not real Jason, but it's Jason mm-hmm. in quotation marks. So I, okay. So either I was just blinded by, you know, the sex <laughs> and how much of it was going on, or I, I just, I don't pay enough attention, but I really didn't notice that the marks on his mask were blue until the end. I was like, oh, and then and when I put the pieces together, I was like, oh, that's clever. That's cute. <laughs> so I guess we'll move on to the summary then and re- walk through this mess of a film. So 
um oh yeah remind me at the end of this to tell my fan theory uh about this movie yes it's the third time joe's will have heard it because we've recorded this once before um well, and i also you know, bring up next episode but it, it helps that it's a clever fan theory so there oh, you go that's sweet thank you You're well welcome. anyway uh, the film opens with a dream sequence where young Tommy Jarvis, Corey, played by Corey Feldman, imagines Jason coming back to life. We pick up with the teenage Jarvis, played by John Shepard, being transferred to a home for troubled youth. Here we meet the cast of characters. There's the head psychiatrist, Matt, and his assistant, Pam. The teens include perpetually horny, horny Tina and Eddie, uh, Jake, punk, glam, teen, Violet, Vic, Robin, and Joey, and Reggie, who is the kid of the cook. Joey annoys Vic while chopping wood, so Vic kills him with his mm. axe and is arrested. It's so like, random. It really is. And you're not <laughs> it's like they've really put um I, I think they said like every six and a half minutes there's either a death or like a fake out. And so like they really pack it in early with this death. Oh my gosh. Okay. I mean I I, uh, it's weird. I hesitate to say anything good about this movie just because I despise it so much. But I, I was developing a connection to this Joey guy. He was annoying, but like in, you know, that sidekick kind of annoying, like, especially the girl characters, like they didn't like him around, but they didn't outright hate him. You know, and then when when he disappears, they actually show concern in one of the few flourishes of like <laughs> acting, storytelling, showing emotion in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And it's really problematic how they portray this kid, yes. too, I think. So there's that piece in there, too. Mm. But um, still, like you said, out of the blue, um, the paramedics arrive, and one of the paramedics is visibly shocked by seeing the dead body of Joey. Mm-hmm. And Huge he gets teased for it. Yep. Right. He gets teased um, for it, and it is foreshadowing. Yep. That evening has some murders. First, there's the strange scene that shows two greasers murdered while fixing a car. Uh, Vinny had a flare to his mouth, and then Pete got his throat slit. Then a waitress and her boyfriend are killed. Billy gets an axe to his head and Lana with an axe to the chest. But she um, does showtime by <laughs> showing her breast to the screen. You know, In one of I, those pointless nudity scenes you're talking about. You know what? If you're going to go, go big. <laughs> right. Um, and then Tommy is kind of suspected of the murders. Uh, we also supposedly find out from the sheriff that Jason was cremated. Eddie and Tina um, are killed while having sex. Uh, Tina gets shears through her eyes and Eddie has his head crushed with a belt against a tree. Um, also, a farmhand is murdered while watching, which he shows up in this weird side plot about him looking for work. Um, yeah. But he gets so stabbed. random. Yeah, right. Right. I, he's just he's just there to be added to the body count. Yeah. This is this character is literally just a thread floating. And what what's interesting about him is that I actually thought he kind of had potential. He's all mysterious looking and you know it, it clearly looks like he has a past, but uh, that's not important in this movie. Nope. Just shows up to be fodder for Jason in quotation marks. Indeed. Um uh so Pam and Tommy go into town. Reggie meets his brother demon and his girl and demon's girlfriend tommy runs off so pam and reggie go look for him meanwhile demon and his girlfriend are murdered she gets her throat slit and he is speared through a porta potty while pooping as you referenced earlier (laughs) what a way to go huh i mean he had to go in more ways than one yep but i also like in the um the first time we recorded this uh you may a reference about how you did not see him wipe and how grossed out you were oh, by this. Yes, no, he didn't. He, there, there was no point on screen where we saw him, you know, clean up after himself, which is a hilarious, uh, you know, uh, paradox, I guess, because there is a what looks to be a fresh roll of toilet paper <laughs> hanging on the dispenser. 
which is like that's as random as the mysterious guy who was looking for work because come on now girl if you're going to make this a convincing porta potty <laughs> that is completely disgusting uh i think that the fresh roll of toilet paper is ruining the ambiance <laughs> it was so nasty it really uh, was and then we have um them singing their separate songs too in the scene it's just such a wild sequence and yeah it clearly looks like they were filmed separately and so as you pointed out pace that the songs aren't matching up (laughs) but um i i guess what i'm really hung up on is that demon died with a dirty butt i mean yeah i guess i'd be more disappointed by the actually having died but yeah, but I mean, leave it to a straight <laughs> guy to die with shit yes. on his ass. Like, thank you. <laughs> no gay person in their right mind. No girl, or queer person. No girl, you always got to keep it clean down there. You never know, you know, when the right time will pop up or you'll die in a porta potty. <laughs> For real. For real. So, where do? Oh, so Pam and Reggie are going back to the house to find that. Reggie's grandfather and Matt are both missing. Reggie is left with the teens while Pam goes looking for them. Ethel and Junior, who are these two like random they're part of the weird farmhand subplot. They're these oh. two random like country bumpkin type people, like just paid for laughs, really offensive. Right. Again, uh, extraneous characters. Although I'll borrow, I'll borrow your word, Pace. I found a little bit of charm in them. Ethel, Junior, Jake, and Violet are all killed. Junior's decapitated. Ethel, knife to head. Jake, knife to head. Robin and Violet with machete. And we can't forget about talking about Violet's weird robot dancing that she does in this <laughs> scene. So we got Crispin Glover in part four with his weird dance. And then we have Violet with this one so so and and so okay this group home that they're in speaking of the comparisons that we're gonna make i mean i didn't first of all i thought it was i didn't know going into this that there was gonna be a group home in the movie that that it was gonna be the primary setting um and then second when i did see that this is where the movie takes place primarily I wasn't expecting it to be accurate. I mean, come on. It's Friday the 13th, right? Um, But there's still certain things that leave room for some commentary. One of them being Violet's room. It looks like she has the attic level room. And like the way it's decorated, it looks like she lives there full time. This looks like the bedroom of a teenager who lives with her parents in a house that they own. And the group home I'm in right now, it, it doesn't have any of this because, you know, residents come in and out. Um, but I'm, I, I guess I'm really impressed with uh, how Violet really personalized her room. I know it was impressive. Like, even if you think of like other franchises we've been watching, um, you see the inside of a person's room and it's, usually like some standard holly clearly the set designer just came and it's like this is what teens are into these days (laughs) so it's kind of refreshing to see a room that has personality uh also like paul rudd's room in halloween six if you remember there's like pictures of everything there there's divine in there so that one had a lot of personality too again any any excuse to bring up paul rudd by pace here folks any excuse for real i think he needs to get added to our drinking game too at this point Yep, and um, something I did not yet reveal this go around, but um, Joe Joe knew, and I talked about when we recorded the first time is when I was watching this movie, I watched it with my mom, who kind of got me into horror movies, but she never was a fan of the Friday the Thirteenth series, so her commentary going through this movie was hilarious. For the oh record. my god, <laughs> are you uh, are you able to uh, repeat some of the commentary? I will do so when we do our retrospective episode. So that's a little <laughs> teaser for that. Um, okay. So come back for that episode. Wait, I think is, we'll air in December. Isn't your mom one of our scheduled upcoming guests? Yep. She's going to be on a mini-sode at some point. Oh, fascinating. Yep, yep. <laughs> so, I wonder if I should bring my mom on here. Because my mom be also 
got me into horror movies. I I think her head would explode from all the queer energy. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> you know, I love I love my mom and she accepts me 100%. But you know, there's bringing oh, her can... under the podcast and surrounding her with queer energy. I don't know. What were you going to say? We can certainly be a lot for the cishets. They try, but even the even the most um affirming of them, we can be a lot. Sometimes I can be a lot even to myself. Yep. That's how gay I am. Same here. <laughs> um, tune in to next week, listeners, for <laughs> Pastor Abel joining us. Because I think we oh. that was the episode we actually outgate ourselves on. Oh, we really did. And Abel is such a lovely human being. I, If they weren't living abroad, I would even suggest maybe he could co-host with us he could be he could be our third wink oh, wink gosh. Oh, wink dear. wink <laughs> <laughs> no okay, no matt is saying this is gonna get cut too <laughs> he's looking at oh, okay i see okay. i see <laughs> okay. <laughs> return to the movie <laughs> yep um okay so well uh pam comes home and she and reggie discover the corpses and they run away and they're chased by Jason in quotation marks. And mm-hmm. while she's being chased, her pink scarf keeps appearing and disappearing in one of the issues with this movie. That's right. <laughs> at, at first, I thought it was a video glitch. <laughs> you know, like, like um, remember VCR tracking? God, I feel yep, old yep. saying that. I, I thought it was that at first, but then you're right. Like, the sweater is outright not there in certain cuts of the scene. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, while they, while they're being chased, and her sweater magically appears and reappears, they find Matt and Reggie's corpses. Reggie's grandfather's corpses. Mm. Um, Jason follows them into a barn randomly. That's another thing we should talk about briefly. Is that. We have no idea where this movie fucking takes place. Like, it's not Crystal Lake. We're clear. Right. It's clear that Tommy's being transferred to some other town or something. But right. it's like we don't know where or how close they are. So the whole ending of this movie, where they have a Jason copycat murder, it's like, how does that person even know who Jason is? I mean, I guess right. Jason would have made like statewide news or something. But still, it just was weird to me. That thank you for reminding me about the confusion I had at the beginning of this movie because we see Tommy in this van and it wasn't until I asked you about it that you know you clarified for me that it was a transport van um, and I think my confusion was because there were conflicting signages everywhere I, the place he was coming from I think oh, had yeah, a yeah. difference <laughs> had a different sign from what was on the side of the transport van. And then there were, as they were driving to the group home where he would eventually end up, they passed another sign. So I'm like, where the hell are we? There are so many different directional markers. For real. Um, so yeah, apparently they, wherever they are is still rural enough that there's a barn. Um, but Tommy arrives just in time, and after like a weird staring contest between him and Jason, they fight, and Jason's mask is thrown off to reveal it was the paramedic all along. Dun dun dun! Yeah, I'm like, I how how do I feel about this twist? First of all, why is there a twist in a Friday the Thirteenth movie? Like. <laughs> It's well, the necessary. first one, we did get the twist that Pamela was the That's killer, right. So. That's right. That is a good twist. That was a classic twist. I I approve of that. This was just okay. And it didn't even... There was... See, what made the Pamela twist a good twist is that there were hints planted throughout the movie. Um, all of her victims, you know had a familiar look on their face as she approached them. So that was a giveaway. Here, I I didn't know that this crass ambulance dude had was was Joey's dad, let alone that he procreated. 
Who would procreate with that man? Ugh. So there were right? no signs. That's so weird. There were and no like, signs that that relationship was there. And they even commented on that in the beginning. Like, apparently he was like some absentee father. But like, oh. if so then if he doesn't even care about his kid enough to just abandon him to a home, it just seems really exactly. out of character for him to go around on a murder spree. So but I don't you know. know. You know what, Pace? This is this might be digging too deep <laughs> critically than this movie deserves. But the wildest part is that um, Joe uh, Vic, who died, uh, who was arrested in the beginning for killing Joey, does not get killed. So he's the person who actually did the murder, and yet he survives the entire movie. Uh, I, I don't know, girl. <laughs> right. Whatever, whatever questions and inquiries I have. I think they died in the porta potty with Demon. Uh, yes, poor Demon, <laughs> who was actually kind of a charming character. Yeah, uh, yeah. See, I'm, I'm using your word again. Um, uh, yeah, the actor who played him uh, was a was a really good uh, performer of that character. Uh, did you notice though? <laughs> That Reggie was having googly eyes at Demon's girlfriend. Oh, for like, real. Yep. Reggie, how old are you? You're like eight. Ooh. Right? Um, yeah. Speaking of Reggie, he also survives. And he and Pam are in the hospital, along with Tommy. That's where the movie picks up. The sheriff explains the relationship between the paramedic to Joey, that the paramedic was Joey's dad. And that was likely the motive for his copycat murders. Tommy has a vision of Jason. We hear a crash from his room. Pan goes in and sees the windows broken. Tommy appears behind her wearing a hockey mask and holding a knife. And the movie ends. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yep. I'm like, wow. It's times like this that I think to myself, am I really doing a podcast for free? <laughs> recording every week sometimes twice a week sometimes on the weekends and then i think yeah i am and i like it no i love it <laughs> um but this was just a really horrible movie oh for real it's it's kind of the dead of the franchise uh, and i mean like i said there are some things i like about it but overall it just it really is the oddball Okay, if there are some things that you liked about it, you have to tell me what theological polls you made from it, because I got nothing. Okay, well, first, let me quick share my fan theory for this one. Yes, it's very clever. I like it. So, in part six, Jason lives. Friday 13th, part six, Jason lives. Tommy, it's a different Tommy, first of all. A cuter Tommy, no offense to this dude. But um, <laughs> Tommy is in a truck having just been released from some sort of group home and he's driving back to crystal lake with the intention of digging up jason's buried body and burning it to like kill jason once and for all because he's apparently having these visions of jason which make him like think that jason might actually be alive or um be returning or something mm -hmm. i feel like this movie must and because it really has a lot of dream logic in this movie, this movie from beginning to end is just a dream that Tommy Jarvis is having, which is what inspires him to then go in part six, resurrect Jason. Well, accidentally, inadvertently resurrect Jason when trying to prove that Jason is dead. Whoa. I love it. I love it because this movie feels like a bad trip. <laughs> right? And I mean, even just the fact that it's a different Tommy, it's like when you dream, you don't always look exactly like you do in real Like, it just makes sense right. if it's all dream logic. Right. So. I also want to add to your um, uh, very shallow uh, review of the Tommy. Um, I, I want to put in my shallowness as well and say that both adult Tommies were kind of hot. And um, I, would love, I would love to see, you know, some kind of Friday the 13th, um, mini movie about maybe 20 minutes long on Pornhub.com with oh wait is this another thing that's going to get cut off <laughs> oh, 
says a person who said that this movie was too pornographic for him. Okay, okay. I guess I should clarify that. It was too heterosexually pornographic. Fair enough. Um, I'm so gay that I will make any excuse for dick. Okay, not any excuse. Okay, I am hashtag times up. I, I am hashtag, you know, me too. I support that movement completely. So just don't get it twisted. <laughs> okay. Don't get it yes. twisted. If, if men need to, you know, be thrown into the fire pit, I will be the first to throw them in the fire pit. But in the tradition and spirit of multiple realities being true at the same time, I still love my dick. Okay. I love getting some dick. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. I, on that I, note, I, I guess <laughs> to the <laughs> theological discussion you can I got tell not- we- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so just real quick is the camp aesthetic and a horror something that we keep talking about um it really kind of started this season off with richard Lindsay by talking about the camp aesthetic so go yes. back and listen to that if you haven't but just to say that this is a very campy movie and that's kind of part of Part yes. of the charm for me, anyway, is that one of the things I like is that it's campy, it's kind of gory and bloody in a in a way that a lot of the other ones from this era aren't. So it's fun in that respect, even though it makes no goddamn sense. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about is, uh, well, the thing we, we were going to talk about is taking a deep dive into some of the similarities and differences between shady pines uh the real life shady pines and perhaps whatever this house is called i forget i forget what this one was called do you remember i i i don't earl because there were four different signs in the beginning of the movie we, i love it we yep, yep. We, we, we don't even know what the name of the goddamn town is for real anyway, i i just ah gosh i this movie I mean, I I lament that it exists, and yet I can't imagine the universe without it. <laughs> what a crazy tension, huh? Yeah, I think that's about as diametrically opposed as you can get. I can't imagine the universe with it, but I also can't imagine it without. <laughs> well, maybe in that respect, the movie... Um did what it needed to do in terms of being a movie it it gets in your head right it certainly was a film it it was it was it was a movie yes but yes what what are what are some godly things about this movie um none okay that's my that's my contribution what about you pace perfect i agree not really not, i I mean, is there anything that we can pull out of our ass <laughs> to make this movie theologically relevant? Well, one thing, one thing you wanted to talk about was I, we could talk about dreams. So, if you think about the Genesis story, there's Joseph and his amazing technical dream quote, quote How, to quote okay. um, Andrew Lloyd Webber. And so we could talk about dreams in the Bible. I'm not sure. <sighs> I mean, there I, are... Other than just to name that the Bible has several different ways of seeing dreams. Some ways are dreams are kind of seen as like this foolish thing. Another, like with Jason, is that dreams kind of can have some sort of predictive element or prophetic element sure. um, that God can work through. And we also see in the New Testament when um, when Joseph, uh, Jesus's adopted father, has a dream where. Um, the angel comes to him and tells him not to divorce Mary and all that stuff. So, so it's like there, there's the Bible kind of has some inconsistent theology about dreams, but it does seem to say that dreams have some sort of mysterious, otherworldly, metaphysical aspect to them, which might be predictive, might be something that God can use to communicate to us through dreams. And so, I mean, that makes sense that that's kind of is being picked up on here with. Not to say that God is using these dreams or anything, but that his visions, um, that Tommy's visions of Jason have some sort of like predictive metaphysical element that Jason is returning somehow because mm-hmm. Tommy keeps having these dreams. Okay, so I, 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 I can see where you're going. And if for some reason the studio agreed with us and decided to 
canonize this movie as a fever dream, then I would definitely be willing to consider it as theologically relevant based on what you've said about dreams, especially in the Old Testament. I mean, there are some wacky ass dreams and visions there. And apparently these were all prerequisites for being a prophet. Yep. Um, but at, in other times, like dreams are kind of shown to be foolish. So it just like you're kind of warned about taking dreams too seriously in other parts of the Bible. So it's just inconsistent, kind of like this movie being inconsistent in the messages trying to get across. You know, that's that is so interesting. Um, that reminds me of some of my um, experiences, um, you know, being a person of faith when I was in high school. Um, OK. All right kitties gather around it's time for story time with joe uh so my best friend robin hi robin you should come on the show at some point because you like horror movies as much as i do so me and my best friend robin we go way back to high school and um speaking of diametric opposition (laughs) so i was a practicing roman catholic and robin was a non-denominational christian and non-denominational christians are you don't know what you're gonna get right because they have such an interesting intersectionality and interpretations of scripture um that can go anywhere and one of the clashes that robin and i had was uh the fact that i was catholic uh she outright said to my face at one point Oh, Catholic is not real Christian. (laughs) And she thought, she basically thought I was going to go to hell because I wasn't saved, even though I was Catholic and, you know, know, Jesus was part of my daily prayer life and I went to mass every Sunday, yada, yada, yada. No, Uh, in her eyes, I was going to burn in hell. And I want to emphasize that Robin was a completely different person back then. and, And so was I, you know, we're both teenagers And in those days, you know, Robin was really uh, devout to her brand of Christianity. And um, one of the sources of tension about that were dreams. So I've always had vivid dreams. I guess I guess this is why I'm in the humanities. I guess this is why I'm I'm a theologian is, you know, my I've always had an active imagination and that includes my dreams. And I used to enjoy telling Robin about them, you know, Um, part of the fun and enthusiasm for me uh, sharing my dreams with Robin is because I grew up an only child. And this friendship that I formed with Robin in the ninth grade, you know, despite the uh, clashes in faith, it was very much an amazing sibling relationship. She's, she, she was then as she is now, uh, you know, the sister I never had. And so in high school, I was like so excited to share with her some of my most out there dreams. And one day she says to me, you know, Joe, that dreams are messages from Satan, right? (laughs) I was floored. I mean, okay, like, now that I look back on it, how did our friendship not completely disintegrate? First, you know, she destroyed my, my Catholicism. <laughs> and then she unabashedly tells me that I'm receiving messages from the devil. <laughs> um, I think reframing the question would be, it is amazing that our friendship has survived into adulthood. I mean, there's got to be something to it. So, but yeah, um, back in those days, uh, your interpretation of dreams as you you know have read about them in scripture uh would have fit fit in with robin's cosmology at the time yeah it's very interesting um there's a lot of kind of warnings um and it's interesting what parts of the bible evangelical christians tend to kind of take literally versus other parts they do not because the bible does make a distinction between visions and dreams Visions being something that a person can receive from God, dreams kind of being more, it having, like I was saying earlier, kind of a wishy-washy, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. It kind of depends yeah. on what book of the Bible it is and what you're trying to go. Well, I, okay, so, hmm, now, 
this is interesting because now some theological connections are um, unspooling here. <laughs> I um, uh, I'm thinking about the idea of vocation, right? Um, you know, uh, we are in ministry because ostensibly this is what we are called to do. Um, and I, I remember when um, I told my church that I was going into seminary, you know, they were excited and they wanted me to speak in front of the congregation. And they specifically asked me to tell a call story. I was not familiar with this phenomenon at that <laughs> time. And I was like, oh, it's a call story. And so they explained it to me, you know, what were, you know, what were the signs, you know, was God tugging at your heart? And I'm like, I, 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 I guess because my, at that time, my main reasoning for wanting to go into seminary was I enjoyed volunteering at church. I enjoyed helping out in the church office and making sure the church ran smoothly I did not see any theological dimension to that. I just wanted to learn how to be, you know, a professional in my Christian faith. Um, so, but when I think more about, you know, this whole idea of a call story and vocation, I can see a little bit of that happening in my dreams as a kid. Mm. I remember a really vivid dream I had um, about... All right, uh, th this is gonna this is going to show what an ancient queen I am. I had a dream about one of the head writers of I Love Lucy. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh gosh, I know. Um, uh, well, you know, uh, I Love Lucy was in repeats all the time back then, so you know, it was a show that I would watch every now and then. Mm -hmm. And, um, I. I had a dream that the head writer of I Love Lucy um, was telling me that I should get into show business. <laughs> How does this connect with theology? Well, I, you know, I don't want to diminish theology and say this is show business, but it is the, it is the art of storytelling. So that, that would, I think that would be my, my call, my call story. I'm, I'm getting um, messages from our dear editor, um, he's saying you talk too much. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Um, I regret ever doing this podcast. Go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Matt is making all sorts of faces. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, okay, that's it for theological polls. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, let's see. Uh, okay, so I guess. If there's anything else you want to kind of quick touch on about your time at Shady Pines before we move on to writing yeah. the film. Yeah. Um, you know, I, first of all, I want to encourage folks, you know, if you're able and you're in a safe position to do so, you know, uh, be open about your mental health journey. Be open about your mental health story. Um, you know, there's a great community that's out here you know, making this less of a taboo. And with that being said, um, one final thing I'd like to say about my experience here is that I couldn't have asked for a better place to stay. And I couldn't have asked for a more, you know, supportive staff. Um, it's not like in the movies, but in, in a way it is because it's like, you know, the staff and this house that I'm staying in could have been written by um, a really good screenwriter and funded by, you know, a really good movie studio, I guess. So um, the work is hard, but uh, there's no other place I'd rather be to do the work. That's good. I'm so grateful that you were able to, like you're talking about, like knowing that this is kind of, a privilege through medical which is something that i miss living on the east coast because one of the best health insurance i've ever been on but um yeah amen but just knowing that this is something that we really need major health care reform so this kind of care is accessible for everyone because it truly isn't especially in this pandemic that's ongoing oh, yeah. it's just so draining for everybody and so i really do think that everybody everybody needs a therapist but especially uh, yeah. to be a, like you're saying to 
I thank you for your bravery and willingness to be open and talk about your journey for this because I hope it I'm sure it will help people um, and this is kind of like you're saying what we need more of is being if you're safe and able to do so right. this shouldn't be something that's stigmatized exactly it, yeah it's working yourself it's getting help it's um, just like you would go to the doctor for any physical ailment yes the same thing for mental health and for spiritual ailments all of those things and you know it's flattering and humbling to you know be told you know you're so brave for telling your story but then i think of people who are like oh i'm going it's leg day i'm going to the gym and nobody says to them oh you're so brave it's leg day i i want mental health to get to that point i know right so thank you though for again for this because i think this is part of making it hopefully get closer towards that by just talking about it the way mm. we were able to talk about this and also the way that this movie in some ways kind of stigmatizes mental health but also in other ways yeah. shows a fairly realistic look at how s- some group homes kind of situations can be set up so oh the 80s <laughs> yep oh that even though this movie is supposedly set in like 1990 or something it, it was filmed in the mid 80s I swear the timeline for the Friday the 13th movies is so wonky. It can never keep it up. It is. It really is. Um, but anyway, I guess we're to rating the film now. So out of 10 machetes, what would you rate this movie? And do you have a favorite kill? Uh, uh, does this machete app allow zero machetes? <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> zero machetes. I, I'm unforgiving on this. Favorite kill? <laughs> I think I mentioned this to you um, during the screening, and you were kind of shocked because I'd hated the movie so much. But um, what was his name? Victor, the guy who came at Joey with the axe. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I say I would say I liked that because it was so out there and random and early in the movie. I was like, okay. I mean, it did. It accomplished, you know, the shock value. So. There you go. Yeah, for me, let's see. I would rate this probably a five out of ten machetes. It's not God. my favorite. It's kind of middle <laughs> of the road. I mean, it's so not generous. I wouldn't rate it like I still think it's better than a Rob Zombie take on Halloween. So I, that mm, was like rated three on mm, four. So these are for mm. me a little at least better than that. It still gets the spirit of Friday Thirteenth, and it has a really kind of cool. Has some of the most memorable deaths in here, like. Getting killed on a t- porter potty, of course, is memorable. But my favorite mm, is all probably it's probably tied between two. So the one that I really like is um, the one greaser who gets a flare through his mouth. Like that's pretty gruesome, but like in the best way. Um, um, so I, I don't mean to be the super obnoxiously horny gay here, but there was kind of something phallic about that. Oh, for like, sure. I mean. <laughs> when we do when we do our I, I don't know when we I guess at some point in this we should talk about how slashers kind of have these uh, homos like this subtext of being very homoerotic mm-hmm. um, but that's a story for another day uh, but anyway yeah so that's one of them and then the other one that I really like is Eddie's head getting crushed with the belt against the tree like is just so gruesome and such oh a also creative kill and it's um one of those scenes that was like cut out like a lot of the gore was cut out but you still see enough that it's pretty intense so right yeah I, I agree with you that it was intense well I guess I brings us to our next movie which is Friday the 13th part 6 Jason lives with special guest uh Reverend Abel Adorio Traverso, uh, who is we already recorded the episode because, like I said, we're re-recording this one, so that was a lot of fun, so much fun to record. Really looking forward to that one, getting um, for us dropping that one. So definitely come back next week for that. Exciting, and I think we're ready for our outro, and I think it's Joe's turn this time. Oh, is it? Okay, well. That's it for our show. Our theme music was by Matt May, who also edited this episode and sent me a bunch of sweet nothings on the behind the scenes text messaging platform. 
<laughs> Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church. And we're on Twitter at H-N-A-C-P-O-D. That's H-N-A-C-P-O-D. For all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time. If you're driving in the middle of nowhere, make sure your phone has reception so that the GPS system will be able to tell you exactly where you are. However, if it's the year 1985, then this advice does not apply to you. (laughs) Fair enough. And you get, and if you get stuck on the side of the road and are fixing a car in the middle of the night, beware because Jason in quotation marks might come and stick a flare in your mouth. That's right. Okay, well, I guess till next time. Bye. (laughs) Bye.